Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. to be here with you uh, this morning. My name is Esteban Tapia. If you are new here with us, we just would like to say welcome. This is home. We're so grateful that you are here with us. And to our friends joining us online as well, I want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. This morning, uh, we will talk about what it means to live a glorious life. And I think that we all have heard stories of individuals achieving personal glory. Stories of success and, and fame. One of my favorite ones is the story of NASA's astronaut, Jose Hernandez. Jose was born into a family of migrant workers who came to the United States from a small town in Michoacán, Mexico. I love Jose's story because it's the journey of a Latino kid who started harvesting crops in the fields of California and made it all the way to the International Space Station. In 2009, Hernandez was the first migrant farm worker to become a NASA astronaut. If you want to know more about his story, I recommend you to watch uh, the movie A Million Miles Away, based on his book, Reaching for the Stars. Now, stories like this, I think they become a source of inspiration for others to pursue uh, their own success. However, since the quest for human glory feels, uh, feeds off of others' praise and applause, this journey for success could become as well very frustrating and disappointing. Especially when people don't appreciate or recognize our hard work. On the other hand, sometimes the people who make it big in life, they don't, won't necessarily know how to explain the purpose or the motivation that pushed them to pursue such a quest. In the movie, a million miles away in multiple scenes, even as a child, we will see Jose Hernandez answering to the question, why do you want to become, do you want to be an astronaut? An astronaut, he will answer in the same way over and over. I don't know. And you know, I think that in today's society, a lot of people are searching for glory without necessarily knowing why. There's no bigger picture, no transcendent motivation, no glory beyond themselves. In today's world, people will go a million miles away trying to reach for the stars without knowing why. I think it will be good for us to know why we do what we do. I think it will be important for us to know why do we wake up every morning and go and spend eight, ten hours at work. 
will be good for us to know why do we care about our wife and our kids and our things that are important for us. One of the reasons I love, uh, that I love being a, being a pastor is that I get to share with people about the way, about a way of living life full of purpose, joy, and hope. A way to live a glorious life. Now before, before we go any further, I would like to provide a basic understanding of the word glory in the biblical context. In the Bible, the word glory has to do first with light. Glory is shining. Glory is radiant. And second, glory is visible. The word glory is used to communicate honor or recognition. And finally, glory has weight. Glory is majestic. Glory is great. And as you can see, the biblical concept of glory is like a diamond with multiple facets. With that said, we can conclude that whenever the Bible talks about the glory of God is referring to his radiance. Is referring to his honor. And is referring to his greatness. Pretty much God's glory is everything that makes God, God. And for us, it will be important to recognize the glory, the glory of God is the manifestation of all his attributes. I think that we all know as Christians that, that God is holy. I can come here assuming that we know that God is love. That God is righteous and that he's truthful and that he is faithful. If you believe so, say amen, please. Now, saying amen to these truths doesn't require a lot of effort. We're just affirming what we already know. What will require some effort, some real effort, though, will be to become a reflection of those attributes to the world. My brothers and sisters... To live a glorious life means to live as a reflection of who God is. The question is, what kind of effort does living a glorious life implies? Well, if we truly want to live for the glory of God, we need to willingly decide to follow Jesus' example for living. And one of the first things... That we can learn from Jesus' example is that he lived his early life with only one audience in mind. Only one. His father. You see, Jesus was never worried about the opinion of men. He didn't care about what others will say about him. Jesus was always focused and entirely devoted to the father's glory. And as a result... He lived a very uncomplicated life. A simple life. A life without worries and concerns that most of us have. Jesus had only one objective in mind. To glorify the Father with his actions. And if this is our goal in life as followers of Jesus, we should do the same. We should live for an audience of one. I think that even as Christians, sometimes we live very complicated lives. 
Sometimes we are trying to please too many people. And that doesn't make life simple. Jesus, on the other hand, modeled what it means to live a simple life entirely focused on glorifying God. And even during his last few hours of life, Jesus glorified God by displaying a memorable act of love to his disciples. As he washed them, their feet. But there was more. There was more to come. The cross was only a few hours away. And with Judas leaving the room, the clock was ticking. And so Jesus said in John 13, 31 and 32, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. So the moment Judas left the room, because, of his, expect, because his expectations weren't met, Jesus decided to fully reveal himself to those who stayed in the room. The moment everyone in that room was confused. They followed Jesus for three years. And they were expecting him to start a revolution in nada. They were troubled. The tension in the room was heavy. The hearts of the disciples were broken because Jesus was not who they thought he was. For three years, they thought that their association with Jesus will give them power. That just by being with Jesus, eventually they will get some fame and prosperity. But as the hours are passing by, more and more it becomes evident that that wasn't happening. I wonder, I wonder how many of us in this room are feeling like, like the disciples. We have created our own expectations about Jesus. And she is not going through with those expectations. And we are probably here hesitantly. Because he doesn't do the things that he's supposed to do. So we can relate. We can definitely relate. Right after Judas left, right in the middle of all the uncertainty and confusion of the disciples, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. The son of man. I love that Jesus used this title over and over in the gospel of John. In fact, I think that it was his favorite title referring to himself. People will call him Messiah and he will rarely use the Messiah title. But he loved to use the son of man title. Maybe because the title of Messiah came with political connotations. Apparently the Messiah title was associated with ideas of power and Israel's national liberation. And as we know, Jesus didn't come as the Messiah they expected. Maybe that's the reason why he chose to use the title, the son of man, more often. 
by using this title, Jesus made clear that he was the one, that he is the one that according to Daniel chapter 7 has received the authority, the glory, and the power to rule. Jesus is the perfect human being with the capacity to rule. The one to whom people of every language and every nation will worship and whose kingdom will never end. Jesus is the son of man. And he came into the world as the expression of the father's love for humanity. Jesus, the son of God, became fully human without surrendering his divinity. And as the son of man, he became humanity's atonement and example for living. And this is how the son of man glorified God. He did it by being obedient to the point of that. He glorified the father and the father in response glorified the son of man. And what we see in this passage is the word glory five times. Glory, 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 glory all around. Radiant, visible. Honorable. This is a powerful display of glory between the Son of Man and God. They are honoring each other's character in a radiant and majestic way. And if we would like to reflect this kind of glory in our lives, I think that we need to follow Jesus' example. We want to live in his way. If we want to live with his heart, we must follow his example and die to ourselves as he did. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Are you aware of the, of the implications here? You see, Jesus... That's what he did. He denied himself. He took up the cross. He was following the Father's will. And he's expecting us to do exactly the same. And if we want to live a glorious life, then we must deny who we are. We must deny what do we like. We need to deny our dreams, our rights, and our feelings. And we must be willing to pick up our cross and follow him. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that's exactly what he's expecting from us. Who said that following Jesus was an easy task? Who said that? It's not easy. requires some effort and maybe you are all about grace and I am as well we are saved by grace to faith and I will say amen but don't expect to be sanctified 
without effort. We are called to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that will require for us to give our all. This is what Jesus is expecting from us. Now I know that all of this sounds too extreme and super countercultural, denying self. Like, what about my feelings? <laughs> but in the end, living for the glory of God leads to a more fulfilling life. And again, living a glorious life requires following Jesus' example, which means first, to live for an audience of one, and second, to make good use of time. You know, time is our life. Whatever we do with our time is what we're doing with life. And we need to make a good use of time. Back to our story, the clock was ticking. And, and as we know, Jesus always moved in sync with his father's perfect timing. And it was now, this was the precise moment in which Jesus needed to teach his disciples what it meant, what it means to be a follower of him. So he said in verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Very simple, very straightforward. I'm about to leave. You cannot come with me. That's it. That was it. Now let's start by saying that this wasn't the first time that Jesus referred to his disciples as children. That's extremely significant. My children. And by this, he's letting them know that he loves them, that he considers them family. But there's also something else that you can read between the lines. He's saying that they still need to grow up. They still need to grow they still need to learn some stuff. I used to call my daughters baby Adali and baby Annette when they were younger. And I used to address them in that way to show them my love first of all. But also to remind them constantly that they were still in development. That they were still learning and growing. Now that they are adults... I don't address them in that way. My wife and I had 17 years of their lives, our daughter's lives, 17 years, a massive amount of time to invest in them. And if we don't make a good use of our time, those 17 years will fly. And then you will try to train an 18-year-old that won't take it from you. <laughs> this is the time. If he's 12, if she's 13, if he's 7, if they are 17, this is the time. We need, we need to start seeing our kids, our children, our grandchildren as disciples of Jesus and invest in them. That's how Jesus saw his disciples. 
That's why he called them children. I think that we need to make a good use of our time with our kids. They will listen to so many voices. There's a lot of competition out there trying to get your children's attention. They will give them a lot, a lot of messy and wrong information. We need to be on top of things. They need to learn not from their friends or from their professors or school. They need to learn from us the good, the bad, and even the ugly. Otherwise, they won't be able to contextualize the information that, are, that they are receiving out there. Jesus is sharing everything with his disciples. And if you are his disciple... You are his child. We are his children. Jesus had a, an idea in mind. He wanted, he wanted to graduate them very soon as the leaders of the greatest movement in human's history, his church. But in order to get there, in order to graduate, in order to be leaders, they needed first to learn how to love. needed to learn how to love so he reminded them of something that he already said in the past he told them I'm about to leave and you will stay here so use this time wisely because you're about to become an adult you're about to turn 18 years old you are about to turn 21 you're about to get married you're about to have Daughters that are adults, you are about to become a grandparent, you're about to retire, you're about to get healed. There's always space for us to continue growing and maturing and developing. Surely, as followers of Jesus, every season in life is different. So let's make good use of our time to grow. In order to grow in every one, in every single one of those seasons. Now for the disciples, a new season was about to come. A new season in their ministry and they needed to be ready. And Jesus knew that they wouldn't be ready if they didn't know how to love. So if you want to glorify God, if you want to live a glorious life, you must, we must build a loving reputation. We need to build a loving reputation in every season, in every stage of life. Think about it. If you are planning, considering to... Move forward in your relationship and get engaged. Ah, you want to show this person that you have a loving reputation. Meaning that you know how to love those around you. Because if that other person look at your life and doesn't see that love, how in the world will he or she believe you? A loving reputation goes a long way. Jesus wants the disciples to learn how to build a loving reputation. Jesus loved his disciples. 
He showed them his love for three years of intense ministry where he genuinely showed them his love. And at the beginning of the chapter, John the Apostle said about Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 13, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved you to the end. He's completing you. You'll get there. He loves you. He loves me. Jesus loved his disciples with the love that he experienced and shared within the community of the triune God throughout eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In this beautiful relationship, dancing of love. God is love. And now he's inviting us to join him into that community of love. When Jesus came into the world, he displayed this kind of love. And in him, God was inviting the disciples to participate in this community of love. Verses 34, 35, a new command I give you. Okay, so this is a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Say with me the word love. 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 That's the new commandment. Love one another. Now, it's not the first time that we will see this kind of language in the scriptures. But this commandment was new new in the sense that we are supposed to love now in the way that we will like. But that we need to love as Jesus has loved us. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So I think that now the bar is quite high. We need to love others. We need to love other believers as Jesus has loved us. Jesus wants his followers to deal with each other as equals. Jesus wants to consider, Jesus wants us to consider one another as more important than us and to develop hearts of servants. In order to serve one another. You know that this passage comes right after Jesus washed his disciples' feet, right? He showed them. He showed them how to love. And the task that these disciples were about to embrace was a massive task. Church will diversify in the future. And eventually, the disciples will need to show the love of Jesus to Greek believers. They weren't ready yet in that room. But Jesus is investing in them so that they will grow up. You see, before this conversation... It wasn't that hard to know who was following Jesus. It was evident. Whoever was following him, those inside that room, they 
were followers of Jesus. But as Jesus is not in our midst any longer, as he is not physically in our midst any longer, then how will we know who is a follower of Jesus? How in the world will we know? Because they have some theological knowledge, because they feel that their biblical political perspective is correct, because they are loud, because they go to church. Like, like how in the world will we know? who is a disciple of Jesus and who is not. Nailed it. Love. Love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not only the Christians will know that you are disciples. Not only the members of Emmanuel faith will know that you are disciples. Everyone, all will know that you are disciples of the one who gave his life on behalf of humanity. In other words, loving our fellow disciples legitimizes in front of others our relationship with Christ. If you want to be known as a follower of Jesus, if you want to be known as a devoted follower of Jesus, if you want to be known as someone who is very passionate about Jesus, know what is love. Is love. I don't know if you agree with me, but I think that we could use more of the love one another as the church in the United States. You see, everyone who gets, uh, who goes to church can say that they love God. I can say that easily. And it's not really that hard to occasionally show acts of love to our neighbors. We don't live with them. We see them, you know, like every now and then occasionally. But loving our family in Christ, oh, that's tough. And maybe you are thinking, no, it's not. It's so nice when I come to Emmanuel Faith. Everyone is so nice, so welcoming, great music, great teaching. <laughs> right? And you go home and you say, like, oh, easy. Well, I mean, in this, in this context, you know, like, it's, it's, it's too big. That's, you know, in all honesty, it's, it's too big. It's in the trenches, it's in our life groups, it's in our adult fellowships where we will truly show our love as we do life together, as we interact with one another. And I'm telling you, that's hard. A lot of people are jumping from life group to life group to life group, from adult fellowship to adult fellowship, from church to church, from service to service. I mean, we're jumping all over the way because once things start to get a little bit too personal, a little bit too relational. You know, I'm an American and I'm all about the individual. Then it gets tough. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Who is with me? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. For there's nothing more important for the followers of Jesus than to love one another. So let's focus on that. 
If we want to live a glorious life, we must focus on the mission. And what's the mission? Maybe you are wondering, what's the mission? Oh, the Great Commission. No, 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 no. That's not even here yet. That's coming later on. The mission right here in this passage is to love one another. That's the mission. Go and make disciples. That's, you know, that's coming. What kinds of disciples do we want to make? Careless, unloving disciples? No. No. The mission is to love one another. That's a mission. And I, I will encourage us to focus on that mission within our local church. Amémonos los unos a los otros. Let's love one another. Let's make time intentionally for that. Peter was too distracted to focus on the mission like a lot of Christians in today's world. He was too distracted. Peter didn't care about loving one another. He was confused and he still wanted things to go his way. Peter still wanted the glory and the praise that came from men. Peter still hoped that Jesus as the Messiah somehow will put him in a place of prominence. Maybe as a governor or a major or whatever. For that reason what Jesus said, when I'm going, you cannot come. Peter couldn't help focusing on that. He didn't even listen to the new commandment. So at the first chance he had, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replies, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter was missing the important part. Peter was missing the main point of the conversation. The part of the conversation that was supposed to be about love, not about the future destination. That's coming up next. Make sure that you show up on Sunday next week. That's coming next. But that's not the point of this moment. I cannot go, you know, through my point number five without going through point one first. So Jesus is talking about love and Peter is missing. He's missing the point. Jesus wasn't planning to get into that conversation yet. For the moment, Jesus wanted for his disciples to focus on love. But Peter was distracted, as many of us are distracted. We are working long hours to provide for our families, and eventually our families don't want to do anything with us. We're too distracted. We're too busy. We are nonstop. And we're training our kids to live in the same way. 
was too anxious. In love, like really, Jesus? Love. We are in this room. Judas already left. I don't know what his deal is, but really, love. Tell me the plan. Tell me the plan, and I will join you. It will actually take him a few more days to learn that there's nothing more important for Jesus than love. Don't wait that long. This is a time. This is a time to embrace the love of Christ. This is a time to start living a glorious life, a life that reflects, a life that makes visible, a life that honors the God of the Bible. And for you to enjoy his blessings. Fortunately, uh, Peter learned his lesson on time. Before Jesus ascended to the Father, Jesus made sure to have one-on-one conversation with Peter, letting him know, dude, love is important. (laughs) And as the years pass by, it's beautiful to see Peter and other disciples learning how to love the diverse family of God. They learned to love as Jesus loved them. Years later, in one of his letters, the apostle John wrote the following, Dear children, let us, not, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love this beautiful verse. Do you recognize the language? 50, 60 years later now, John is using the same language that Jesus used in the upper room. He's calling a new generation of disciples, children. He's telling them, I love you. He's telling them we are family, but he's telling them as well, you need to grow in love. Not only with your words, you will love people, but with your actions. Say with me, actions. It's fascinating to see how it's possible to live in such a way. In a way that makes public, in a way that that reflects, in a way that makes visible that there's nothing more important than love in the family of God. Love beyond words. Number five, finally. If we want to live a glorious life, we need to stand firm in the faith. Let me ask you, how, how, how do we stand firm in our faith? <laughs> how, how do we do it? Well, definitely not like Peter. That's for sure. At the moment, Peter was overconfident. And, and in verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? You not even know yourself, Peter. <laughs> Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, three times. And that came to happen. Peter wanted to be the hero of the story. 
But he wasn't supposed to be the hero. Peter was missing the point that Jesus was making. The point wasn't to see who will follow Jesus or who will die for him. The point was to learn how to love like him. No wonder. Scriptures teach that we should love as men, our wives, as Jesus loved the church. As he loved us. We should love. Learning how to love like Jesus goes a long, long way. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, Apostle John says, again, 50, 60 years later, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. Say with me, light. Light, light shiny light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. If you want to remain firm in the faith, you need to learn to love. To love God and to love your neighbor and to love your family in Christ. You see, there's power in surrendering to the love of the triune God. The main lesson from this passage is that as we surrender to God by loving one another, we remain firm in our faith and we glorify God with our lives. And perhaps this, is an, uh, uh, this has been uh, your experience lately. Maybe you are like Peter, struggling to love your family in Christ. And not feeling that confident about your relationship with God. Well, if that's the case, let me just remind you the following Eventually, the Apostle Paul said the, fo the following about love. The kind of love that we could imitate. But don't, don't try, don't pretend, don't, don't, don't get into the imitation without first embracing it and experiencing it. The, the, the Apostle Paul became a powerful instrument, instrument in the hands of God. He was loving people very different and diverse to him because he, he experienced the love of Jesus. And may, maybe that's, that's where, that's where we, we need to start today. Maybe it's been a while since we even felt loved by God. And you have the understanding, the theological, the, the information here in your head. Yes, God loves me, but... For the Apostle Paul, this, this was tangible. I am convinced. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nada, nothing will separate us from the love of God. And if you are one of those whom Jesus has loved to the end, 
I would like to encourage you to honor him and to reflect his radiant light by loving your family in Christ. For that's what it means to live a glorious and fulfilling life. Maybe we won't get to travel a million miles away into the outer space and reaching for the stars. But in Christ, we can definitely shine like one. Would you stand with me, please? And we're going to pray. And we're going to tell Jesus, Jesus, we love you. We know that you have loved us, that you love us right here, right now. But we want to pray as well, Lord, give us the ability, the power to love those around us. Oh, Lord, here we are as your people, as your family. And we are delighted in your presence. We have sing songs of a reality in you. Lord, you have given us new life. Hell lost another one. And now we are yours. Your love has become palpable, visible, real in our lives. And we want to tell you, we want to say to you, we love you, Jesus. We love you, God. There's a mission, there's a task that we want to own this beautiful day. The task, the mission to make your love public. Even in the midst of the worst darkness darkness that exists in our society even in the midst of that darkness we want to show your love will you please equip us will you please train us will you please speak into our hearts let us know that you have loved us to the end and that now is our time Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.